chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon him, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and pits, through the land of drought and the shadow of death, through the land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not do not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, send a Kadar and consider diligently, and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory. For what does it profit? Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes of understanding today to understand your truth and the application of it in our lives. Lord, I'm thankful that you are universal throughout all ages and that your truth is applicable to every area of our life. And so, Lord... In order for anything profitable to be done here today, it needs to be a work of your Spirit. We acknowledge that. We don't bring any of our own talents or efforts or preparation and offer it because, Lord, it's all in vain apart from your Spirit bringing the life. And so we look to you. We pause at this time to acknowledge our need. And we ask you to do a work that would glorify only you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah was an incredible prophet of God. A prophet of God that was told 
to go prophesy to Israel and was told up front, they will not listen to you. They will not repent, but I want you to go and prophesy to them at any rate. Jeremiah, enabled by God, was a masterful artist painting ten different pictures to expose the unfaithfulness and sins of the people. These ten pictures were, he painted a picture of an unfaithful wife, of a broken cistern, of a plundered slave. He painted the picture of a harlot to illustrate their unfaithfulness. A picture of a degenerate vine. A picture of a stained body of a swift camel and a donkey in heat. He likened them unto a disgraced thief, also to uncontrollable children, children out of control. And lastly, he painted a picture to illustrate to the children of Israel what their hearts were really like, was a picture of prisoners of war. And in this, God was trying to give them a mirror of what their hearts were like, what was going on in their life, what their actions had done. We read in this passage, the Lord, through Jeremiah, said to the children of Israel, What injustice have I done that your hearts have gone far from me? He said, I, I can remember you and, and, and we had the first love and, and we rejoiced in each other and now your heart has gone in some other direction. And he said, because of that, he said, I am, I'm going to raise, raise charges against you. In other words, he's, he's showing them that they're guilty. But he sums it up in verse 13 in this initial discourse to the children of Israel, and he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, God says, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two evils, he said. Two evils that the children of Israel, and two evils that we're prone to do in our own life. And really, you can sum up all sin basically with these two evils. The number one is forsaking God, the fountain of living waters. This is the first of the evils of God's people, to forsake God. This is the evil that conveys not only disloyalty, but also ingratitude, because it is, it, it, it's absurd. It's, it's really foolish. It's, um, understanding God is the fountain of living water, a never ending supply of good, pure, essential water. I don't know how many of you have 
been privileged to to drink out of an artesian well or an artesian spring. How many of you have? Okay, a few of you have. These are are clear, clear water, cold water. Um, it is refreshing and and. They are a picture of, of giving life. I, one of the reasons I like going out to the mountains, there's a number of reasons, but one of them is I love seeing mountain streams. And, and they, they flow so rapidly. They make a wonderful sound. They're clear unless it pours down rain and then they get muddy for a little while, but they're clear in no time. And and it just, it, it reminds me of life. And then I come home and look at our pond. It's stagnant and dead and moss and algae and weeds all over it. And, and you know, I, I like farm ponds, but they're dead. I mean, the water goes in unless you do something to make it keep moving and aerated and so on. But God is the picture of a life-giving artesian well, so to speak. Or I should say, an artesian well is the picture of God. And it is an endless supply of life-giving water. It is a fresh, life-giving fountain that God supplies for us. And he said... You have forsaken that. You've turned your back on that. That's the first evil. And then he says, and you have now gone and you have made for yourselves, hewn for yourselves, a cistern. A cistern is something that you make to hold water in, okay? And um, the minute the water goes into that, it, it really begins its death. It ceases to be living. It becomes stagnant, and the process of deterioration begins. And so he said, you had this wonderful fountain of life, this... Uh, Endless supply of water, but no, you turned your back on that. That was the first sin. And then you go and try to create a substitute for that. So you hew out this this area, whether it's you go into a rock, what he's picturing, and, and chip away and make this area to gather water, or whether it is you bring rocks together, and they would often do that, and then smear limestone around it to to keep the water in so that it wouldn't leak. But eventually, it would develop a leak. The limestone would break down just like you know your house, things break down and, and you need attention to those things. And it would leak, it would become stagnant, it would not be life-giving. And he's painting this picture. Here you have God. But no, first evil, you've forsaken him. And now, 
in leaving God, the only one that can satisfy man's thirst, we've set out to create our own cistern. Through our infinite labor, we cut out cisterns of splendid houses and reputable character. We build the cistern of wisdom and tradition, and we could go on and on and on and list things. But we build these things that we think will satisfy the needs of our heart. And God says, at best, the water soon becomes brackish, lacking the oxygenated, oxygen, I can't even say it, all right? Full of oxygen, okay? And in the heat of the day, The algae begins to grow, and it is not satisfying at all, and then eventually ends up being poisonous to our very soul. So he said, these are the two evils. We reject God, and we create a substitute for God that becomes the God of our life. You are not satisfying This will satisfy this job, this family, this money, this house, this whatever it is. And he says, it is a broken cistern. Anything apart from him will not satisfy. So he paints this picture. And we want to learn some application from this this morning. Number one, every good gift comes from God. Every good gift comes from God. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father above with whom there is no variableness. Every good gift comes from God. And, and we could spend the rest of the day listing good gifts that God has given. And God in his graciousness pours out great gifts on the evil and on the good. He makes his sun to shine on the evil and good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He gives general grace across the board. And and daily we ought to be reminding ourselves of all the good gifts that God gives. But God is not just a vending machine to to give good gifts out. God himself is the greatest gift that has ever been given. When we come to realize that a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ is a treasure that Jesus told the parable, a man sold all that he had to go buy this field because in that field he knew there was a great treasure. He was illustrating this fact. A relationship with God 
is the greatest treasure that we can ever have. And it and it alone, it's not the gifts from God that satisfy. It is the gift of God. The gift of Jesus Christ that pays the penalty for our sin that separated us from God and brings us to a relationship with God. It is that relationship. And many times we have come to understand I am in need of forgiveness. I am in need of my sins to be forgiven. And we come to understand that only Jesus Christ can forgive. No church forgives. No baptism or communion or good works, none of that forgives. It's only as I call upon Jesus Christ to forgive my sins that I have eternal life. But it's not just eternal life he gives us. He brings us to a relationship with God. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. It is a, it is a relationship. And when the Lord is our supreme treasure, we will begin to see the satisfaction in this life of present treasures and of eternal pleasures. Turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. The psalmist David um, epitomized this in Psalm 16. I'd encourage you this afternoon to read over this psalm. If you're looking for a, a good passage to memorize, I'd encourage you to memorize Psalm 16. But in this psalm, he he is conveying the the wonder that he has in his relationship. He cries out, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, and there is there is no one on earth that I desire from you. There is no goodness apart from you. You are my treasure. But notice how he ends this psalm. Verse 11, You will show me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence with God. In your presence is fullness of joy. Two evils. We forsake God. So we're leaving the fullness of joy when we do that. And then we try to substitute it with something else. This will make me happy, and this will make me happy. And we spend our life chasing after things that we think will make us happy. He said, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And we need to come to realize that only God can satisfy Only God can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, the the things in our life that we don't even know. 
period, only God can satisfy. We were made to fellowship with God. And nothing else can fulfill that. There's no substitute for it. Deion Sanders was a professional football player. He'd won a national championship as a collegian. He um, won the Super Bowl as a professional football player. And he says, after I won the Super Bowl, I went back to my hotel room and I sat on my bed and I said, is this all there is to life? And it was that question that brought him to salvation and brought him to Jesus Christ. I mean, he had everything that a person would think would make him happy. He had fame, he had money, he had championships, he had everything he could desire, but he was still empty. And he said, is is this all there is? At the pinnacle that mankind would look at. And he was still in this handmade cistern that is stagnant and dead. And God used that to make him realize there has to be something else. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. C.S. Lewis, who points out to us the reality of these things, said the Bible consistently appeals to our desire for lasting pleasure. But that pleasure is not found in drink and sex and ambition, but in knowing and following Jesus Christ. And that's why Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, come to this fountain. Leave that that you're digging about and plastering the walls and trying to fill this cistern up. Forget it. That's never going to satisfy. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's our invitation to enjoy God. God is very much interested in pleasure. But he knows the only pleasure that's satisfied is found in him. Everything apart from that will not satisfy. And we get in trouble when we look to the gifts of God to satisfy rather than to God himself. We get in trouble when we look to the gifts of God to satisfy rather than God himself. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So, here I am, okay? I've come to the point. I've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. I I have fellowship with God. And God in my life, going back in my life, God blessed me with a wife. I get in trouble when I look to my wife to satisfy me rather than looking to God. When I make my wife the focus of my life rather than God. 
God blessed me with children. I get in trouble when I look to my kids to satisfy me rather than God. And many times as believers, we go and we hew out our own cisterns. And we may even see, we may even say, I want to have a godly marriage. But, but my focus is all on my marriage or my family. And, and I'm looking to them to give me pleasure and me to give them pleasure. It's my relationship with God. And it's easy for, it's not that we purposely say, I am going to forsake God. Most here today are not saying that. But we slide our affections from loving God first and foremost, and we say, oh, thank you, God, for this wonderful gift that you've given me. Thank you for this wife or husband or family or job or home. Oh, wow, we just love living where we live. Or or thank you for these toys I have. Thank you for this thing. And that becomes our focus. And and it's almost like, oh, God... um, would you would you give me this or oh god would you help me with this and and it seems like a good prayer help me with my marriage is that what your whole life is about you know I, I, there's going to come a day that marilyn will die or i will die the odds are we both won't die at the same time we can hope for the rapture but You know, if life just lives out, if my life is built just on my marriage or whatever your life is built on, it's going to be gone. Guaranteed, unless it's built on Jesus Christ. And do you understand, if he is my focus... It will make me a better husband. It will make me a better father. It will make me a better citizen. It will make me what I ought to be. But that isn't my life. All those are cisterns that break stagnant water apart from him. And he said, you've committed two evils. And it's so easy for us to do this. Romans 1 conveys the same thing. We don't have the time, but read it. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, but worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. To go out and say, man, look at that full moon coming up over those mountains. Wow, that is just the best thing It is awesome, but if I stop in my praise there, it's a hewn out cistern. It's God that gave me the eyes to see it, the ears to hear the babbling brook. He's the one that put the moon in the sky. He's the one that allowed us to be there. Whatever it is in your life. In his presence is fullness of joy. And it is so easy for us to transfer our affections to his gifts and forget the giver. 
David expressed his satisfaction in Psalm 16. And at that point in his life, it stood in stark contrast to the sad experience of his son Solomon. Solomon sought satisfaction in work. Work is an excellent thing. It's designed of God. But your work is not designed to fulfill you. He found that empty. Solomon sought satisfaction in wisdom. But that ended up vain. He built beautiful mansions and landscaped them with breathtaking gardens that, that would stand, make us stand in amazement today if we realized all that he did. But he still had no pleasure in it. In it. He tried laughter, but found it to be madness. He had sexual pleasures that, that few have ever experienced. He had fabulous wealth, but he couldn't buy his happiness. He chronicled all of this in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he finally concluded, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Do you understand what he said? Don't forsake God. Fear God and keep His commandments. This takes care of all your responsibilities of life. Two evils, forsaking God and chasing after things that we think will satisfy. And it will not satisfy. It's guaranteed. It, God will not allow it to bring genuine, lasting satisfaction. Ravi Zacharias often coach, quotes G.K. Chesterton with this quote. Meaningless doesn't come from being weary of pain. Rather, it comes from being weary of pleasure. And we think, if I could just fill my life with this pleasure and this pleasure and this pleasure, and, and you chase after that pleasure and then it's empty and hollow and it has to be another pleasure... And we live in a world today that we're addicted to our own broken cisterns. Well, if I could just get a little bigger cistern and put a little more stuff in it, if I could be noticed or identified, God is always in love trying to get us back to Him, not because He's an egomaniac, But he's always in his love trying to get us back to him because he knows that is for our best interest and only with him will we ever be satisfied. And so sometimes God allows the cistern just to deteriorate by itself. Sometimes he may come and kick the walls of the cistern down and and create a catastrophic event in our life. But whatever it is, ultimately, He wants us to come back and find that, God, You alone are my satisfaction. And if we struggle with how could He possibly be, The solution to that is we need to get to know the God of the Bible. 
And if we really come to know him, the more you know him, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you obey him. And the more you obey him, the more you're glorified. He's glorified in our life. And the whole purpose of man is to glorify God. But it begins with knowing him. And then we delight in him. God, you are my treasure. You alone are my treasure. God wants us to trade the poor, contaminated, limestone-covered, broken cisterns for a clear, fresh, flowing spring of water that genuinely brings life. Have you come to the point, first of all, where you realize, I was made to fellowship with God, and I need Jesus Christ to make that possible? And then if you have come to that point, are you still delighting in him? Revelation talks about returning to our first love. It's easy for our hearts to get swayed away, and, and, and we can justify many things. Well, it's a good thing to, to have a good marriage. Yes, it is, but that's not the end of our life. You'll be sadly disappointed if you build your life around anything other than God, and He wants to bring us back to this. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, isn't it something? Praise is a unique thing. And in, in life, we praise many things. We praise the weather. We praise the countryside. We praise actors and homes and motors and horses and sports and athletes and rare stamps and rare beetle. I mean, you can find every little niche in life that praises various things. And one thing about praise, when you see something praiseworthy, you say, hey, look at this. We want to share our praise, don't we? We want someone else to notice it. What God desperately needs is people that praise Him, have come to see what a wonder He is, and then say, hey, look at, look at this! That's, that's what He designed Christians to be. To not forsake the God. The songwriter said, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. He's the fairest of 10,000. And you know what? In life, there will be many, many things that come into your life that will make you realize, wow, that doesn't satisfy. The earliest, one of the earliest experiences I had of this was I was an avid baseball fan, Minnesota Twins. Rod Carew was on the verge of breaking Ted Williams' record for the highest batting average. And I thought, he is, he is it! Man, he, he stole bases 
Stole home plate seven times in one series. Set a new record. When's the last time you heard that happen, huh? I mean, this guy, I did, Rod Carew, second baseman, number 29 for the Minnesota Twins. I mean, I had him right up there. And then I read that they traded him to the Anaheim Angels. Well, that was a drop. But then I read that he divorced his wife. I I mean, it it just started crumbling. This This was, wow, I praised him. Anything you praise in life by your word or by your actions other than God will end up sadly disappointing someday. And God, just through natural means, it will disappoint. But he that puts his trust in the Lord will be safe, will have delight, so taste and see that the Lord is good. Heavenly Father, You alone know the hearts represented here. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would know the spirit of you calling us back to your presence, to rejoicing in you. Lord, I pray for individuals that have never called upon Christ to forgive their sins. I pray that today they would call upon you and that their relationship with you would be established through faith in Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray for believers here today that haven't purposely said, I'm forsaking God, but but the focus of our life, the priorities of our life have, have gradually switched. And in reality, we have forsaken you and we're hewing out our own cisterns that never, never can satisfy. Lord, thank you that you can satisfy. And I pray today that there would be many of us that would come back and say, God, all I want is you. And that we'd come to value and know who you are. And live lives that reflect the praise that you are worthy. We ask you would work in each heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Kathy if she'll play that song, All That Thrills My Soul Is Jesus. The song says, Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? By his presence, all divine. True and tender, pure and precious. Oh, how-